0: Listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies, here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On The Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Go to www.qr.com.au G'day again, it's great to have you with us for episode 91 of On The Road. This week we're joined by Matt Lawrence who gives us a review of last weekend's Perth Mac Muster, along with Trevor Warner who breaks down the pros and cons of splitting rest brakes. Mike takes an in-depth look at driver retention, plus all the latest from the On The Road newsroom. We've got great music from McAllister camp as well as an awesome duet with Gina Jeffries being joined by superstar Guy Sebastian for a live remake of a classic Wilson Phillips song. There's a few surprises along the way too, so it's time to light her up guys.
1: Let's get this show on the road! Yes! Get on with it!
2: G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, And when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road. But when we're on the road, we're listening <laughs> to the big rigs on the road. Right? <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. and Radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of trucking classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address... Big Rig Radio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. A lot of guys out there have been talking about the different options that you can use in your logbook to take advantage of things like split brakes. Now, well, I've never been one for taking the split break option in a logbook, simply because I get too bloody scared that I'm going to encounter some muppet on the side of the road who doesn't understand it and say, oh no, no, I'll write you out a ticket, we can sort it later. I know how much pain would be involved in sorting it later. <laughs> so with that in mind, I decided to get hold of old mate Trevor Warner, who I know uses the split break option and is a big fan of it now. Before we get started with Trevor, understand this, what we're talking about here is not advice, right? If you use the information from this, I would thoroughly recommend that you read and are familiar with what it says in the front of your logbook before you get started. We're just talking here in general terms about the experience. It's not meant to be legal advice. It's not meant to be a course in how to do your job, just our opinion and Trevor's experience of using it. So with that in mind, have a listen to what Trevor and I have had to say. Welcome to the show, Trev. Split breaks, mate. What's the story with that? I know you love them. G'day, bud. Yeah.
3: Split rest breaks. They're they're an interesting one. I use them quite a lot because that's how it best suits my sleep pattern. And the split rest break is actually perfect for the human circadian rhythm. Right. You get that bit of a dip in the afternoon and you talk about your grandpa nap. <laughs> I'm the same whether I'm on the road or whether I'm waiting for trailers down in Melbourne, for example. Yep. I grab a couple of hours in the afternoon and then I pull up for six hours uh, up the road and put that down as a split rest break.
2: Yeah, well, having a bit of a nap in the middle of the afternoon sort of all right, and it? it's better to smash it out in the bunk rather than smash it out in the surgery.
3: <laughs> yeah, 100%, mate, 100%. And us old fellas, I shouldn't use the word old,
2: should I? <laughs> advisedly, we're allowed to say old advisedly Trev.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's one of the tricks of the trade that we've developed over all our years behind the wheel. Mm. Now I'm sure there's a scheduler there that wants you to go to Melbourne, uh, Sydney in 10 hours. Yeah. But I reckon there should be a, some sort of a rule that they should be allowing you at least 12 hours to do that. Yeah. And that gives you the opportunity to have those couple of hours sleeping in the bunk and instead of just grabbing a quick coffee and a pie or a chalky bar or something and gun to guy and then doing that
2: next stint. Well, I don't know, mate. It just seems crazy to me. As I said, though, I get scared that I might muck it up because I don't do it often enough. Now uh, well, I don't do it at all. So what I wanted to talk about with you is since you use that split break, how does it work? Perhaps it might be a good idea to cover off what BFM allows you for in the first place.
3: Officially, now I've had this deep discussion with NHVR mm. and also in the development of the EWD. If you are running an EWD and you have a split rest break, it actually records a breach.
2: It does, yep.
3: Now, I've always said to the boss about it that uh, you refer to Rule 255. Now, Rule 255 is only a defense. So Rule 254 of the HVNL says that you must have a seven-hour rest break in any 24-hour period.
2: It absolutely does, yep.
3: Now, when you have a split rest break, that means you're actually in breach of that. So the NTC, in their wisdom and their understanding of the human circadian rhythm, has provided BFM and AFM operators with a defense, which is Rule 255. And that defense is, as long as you've had two hours and then six hours relatively close together... That complies with the regulations and and you're only allowed to use it, for example, at a minimum every second day. You can't use it Monday night and then Tuesday night as well. right. So you've got to do your split rest break on the Monday night. You have a, a good sleep on the Tuesday night and then on Wednesday night, if need be, you can have that split rest break again.
2: So let's just talk briefly about what the BFM allows us to do in the first place. Once we press start at whatever time of the day that is, mm-hmm. from that point on, we have 17 hours to get our 14 hours work done. So what that means is we can have a six-hour block, have a half-hour break, then a five-hour block, I think it is, another half an hour break, and then we can finish our time. That's pretty much what it is, isn't it?
3: That's it, mate. Yeah, that's the, the minimum, meets all the requirements.
2: Right, and then you end up, as a result of that, you end up with a 10-hour break, don't you?
3: Yeah, that's right. So 14 hours of total work
2: and 10 hours of total rest. Yeah. So a nine-hour continuous rest break you would get if you did it in the way I laid out just there before.
3: That's correct,
2: yes. How does your your split break work into this? We all know that it's fairly black and white. They say that you have to have a seven-hour minimum rest break in your 24-hour period and that work regime that I just pointed out says to you that you know, that covers that off entirely. You're never, ever going to have an argument with them on the side of the road if you do that every day, are you?
3: That's correct, Yep. I'll just look at that and go, yeah, well done, driver, on your way, yeah.
2: You're a machine. You're just a machine. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, unreal. So reality sometimes doesn't reflect the machine that we've all become. You take a split rest break. So how do you fit that in, and have you been questioned about it on the side of the road?
3: I absolutely have, and I've just simply said, refer Rule 255. Yeah. Back in the early days, I think that was around about the 2018 amendment, I quizzed the boys at Mm Maroon, and they said, no, absolutely, split rest breaks, no problem. The nitty-gritty of the legal aspect of it came into play with the EWD, and in the, the wording of the law, it says in a proceeding for an offence against section 254. Mm. So that basically says that you must have your seven-hour break, and you should get knocked off for that. And only a magistrate can deem that you have complied with the three requirements to make all that legal. Yeah. Most of them know that. Queensland police are fine. New South Wales police are fine. Vic police are fine. SA, police are fine, NHVR so far have been fine with it. They all understand they're not silly. We're all using our common sense and they've just gone, yep, no worries. But now that it's recorded on a breach in the EWD, Hmm. we might discover down the track that we'll have some OCD officer (laughs) take an exception to it. Hmm. But that has not happened to me at this stage. But we are in the process of making that rule a legitimate activity.
2: What, in the electronic work diary? In the
3: electronic work diary and in your paperwork diary. At the moment, it's only a defence, but we want to make it as a legitimate option.
2: Right. So the short story of it is now you're basically playing Russian roulette if you do a split work break. Is that a fair assessment? To get
3: very pointed about it, yes.
2: Yeah. And you and I have chatted over and over and over about how inequitable it is for us. You and I both, we can be in three or four different jurisdictions in one day, you know, that's right and an offense that you get picked up for in New South Wales that may have been committed in Queensland for example mm-hmm. and we end up in court in New South Wales and you know if we live in Victoria or something like that it just gets to the point where you know you and I both know people pay the fine rather than take the hit and go to court which has always been an issue hasn't it
3: it has. You know, you might get a $600 fine or something and all of a sudden you find out your credit card's just got two and a half grand on it because of all the ancillary costs of seeking justice.
2: Yeah. We've had this discussion before and I've shouted from the rooftops how we need to have something that's a little bit more equitable. That's probably one of the greatest things, I suppose, about the NHVR now when they take over New South Wales being right along the East Coast and across to South Australia as far as their enforcement's concerned maybe there might be a silver lining to the cloud in as much as we can have a one-stop shop, I suppose, and hopefully deal with things a little bit closer to home.
3: Well, that's the hope. Hmm. At the ATA conference on the Gold Coast, I spoke to Sal Petrosito and John Gilbert, also Bill McKinley of the ATA, about our support for this type of future regulation. They all said the same thing, that at this stage... Even though the NHVR might be across all jurisdictions, hmm. they can only enforce the law that's being gazetted in that jurisdiction. So we've got one overarching enforcement body. But at this stage, they're still only enforcing the laws of the state. Hmm. So if New South Wales wants to do something slightly different, we've got no ability to change that except to lobby government to say, look, come on, bit of common sense, fellas. Hmm. Not that they'll probably listen to us, but we can only try. But NHVR uh, are certainly on our side. When I bought that special fatigue monitor run on that algorithm, I showed them the results and they were 100%. Professor Anne Williamson at the University of Wollongong, I had a good talk to her and and she's behind us 100% that that's your circadian rhythm. If you have those two sleep, you're managing your fatigue. We just now need the lawmakers to understand that we know what we're doing and this is an option that we need to have.
2: Seems to me like we're living in different worlds, doesn't it? So just quickly. We want to talk about how you use the split-rest break. We've established that it's a defence only and that it's not really recognised given the fact that it does state in black and white you're supposed to have that seven-hour break. Trevor, how do you actually record it? So when you go and use it, please explain what you need to do, what you write in the book, what you actually write in the book. Typically,
3: the way my run works, I'll get down to Melbourne early in the a.m. I'll do a delivery to, say, Coles, D.C., for example, and then I'll find I'll end up having possibly a four-hour break between when i finish coals and when I'm due to start reloading. So I'll go over to the yard that we load out of. So I've got work time in the morning. I've got a big gap. Sometimes I might be lucky and actually only have a two-hour break. So usually if I'm a bit sleepy around lunchtime. I'll have something to eat. I'll dive in the bunk and I'll grab as much sleep as I can in that two hours. But I'll record that as a two-hour rest break. Well, let's just say I don't get delayed. So I have a rest break from uh, lunchtime through to 2 p.m. Mm. I will load the trailer. I'll, I'll head off. I might get to Gundagai, Kulak. Kulak's usually around about that area. I'll dive in the bunk there and I'll have six hours. Lucky to get six hours. Normally I'm sort of awake after five hours after doing that. Mm. But I'll pull up at Kulak and I'll have a six-hour rest break. Now, when I wake up at that six-hour point, that becomes my new counting point for the next 24-hour period. Right. So instead of the end of your seven hour, it's the end of your six hour. That becomes the new counting point. So what I do is when I wake up at, say, 4 a.m., I'll put a big mark in my book at 4 a.m. today and then I'll go to tomorrow's page and I'll put a big mark at 4 a.m. tomorrow. I know then that I've got to have at least a seven-hour break in between those two lines and then three hours of random rest breaks throughout that period.
2: Right. So you sort of plan ahead what you're going to do and you're relying on the old standard logbook thing of having to have a five-hour break, aren't you?
3: That's right. That's correct, yeah.
2: All right. Well, it's not that complicated, really, when you think about it. I suppose for me, as I've already said, the scary part is that whoever's having a look at it might just take exceptions ah, oh, well, we'll write that up and we'll discuss it in court later on. That would be a massive annoyance to me anyway.
3: Well, it would be, but our good friends at Highway Advocates, they've already got a brief. Hmm. So if you know the procedure and you can write yourself a little letter, we've all got the process of review. So what you can do then, type yourself up a little letter, explain what you've done, address it to court uh, down your way. Let's just say Bargo Court, for example, your infringement notice number, and just say you wish to explain what's happened, you just type out your letter. Attach your two logbook pages or probably three logbook pages, actually, to demonstrate that you haven't taken a split rest break on consecutive days. They will see that and probably write back and say they're they're going to withdraw the charge. If we all done that, it would be a serious waste of taxpayers' money taking every case to court. Hmm. So they should look at it and go, yeah, righto, that's fine. It's like someone just double checking your work and make sure you're not trying to scan the system at all, and it should go away.
2: Thanks for coming on and explaining that to us, Trev, and telling us how you think it should work. We'll see what happens. Might have to have a go. I love that grandpa nap in the afternoon, let me say.
3: It certainly works for me. It's kept me alive all these years of doing overnight
2: express. But I mate, keep it safe. We'll catch you later. Well
3: do, I'll see you on the road.
0: There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page.
4: Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcast every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermia on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you.
0: Back in episode 75, we spoke with Drew and Troy from Aussie band McAllister Kemp. To get the party started, here they are once again with a song from their All Kinds of Tough album, It's McAllister Kemp with Hell Yeah.
1: There ain't nothing better when we get together. Sing- Hi guys, this is. Sorry, about I'll, I'll, I'll do a count, bro. Okay, <laughs> this yes, is hard. Okay. One, <laughs> two, three. Hey guys. Hi guys, this is McAllister Kemp, Kemp, and you're and listening and to On the, on the road. road with Mike and
2: Mike Andy. And Andy. Come <laughs> over there, Andy. And I got you go, mate. We're coming up that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're gonna be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. Would want to be playing chicken with that. Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the tracks, mate. <laughs> it's not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailers. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny, though, when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat, really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. Long way to go. After you, old mate.
0: This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to (laughs) www.qr.com.au.
2: It's time for That's What You Think. We had the Mac Master the other day, cracker of a show. I've got Matt Lawrence with me. We'll have a bit of a talk about everything that happened. Matt, welcome back to the show, mate. How are you? Oh, uh, Mark. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me again. And it was. It was an absolute cracker. I'll tell you what I do love about your show, mate, and the way you broke up the prizes in year levels and makes and all that sort of stuff. Everyone that came had their section that they were in And I really think that that's a great way to do it. Best Mac, best Euro, best tow truck, people's choice, all that sort of stuff. I think it's just a fantastic way to do it.
4: Yeah, and you can get out of control with awards, Mike, and we wanted to keep it as tight as we possibly could, but be inclusive, make sure we capture all of the categories that are important to people. And we think we did that. I haven't announced it yet though, so I need to jump on that and start posting a few things.
2: You do, mate, I've been looking for it and I haven't seen anything. I've seen the story that Big Rigs put up the other day they reckon that you did a pretty good job, mate. $200,000 you raised?
4: Yeah, look, we haven't finalised that yet, Mike. We're still counting. Mm. still money to come in from various places. Mm. I think we're well on track to be able to donate our $200,000 to the Harry Perkins Institute of Medical Research. Wow. Yeah, fantastic effort. We've doubled that from the last show. We donated $100,000 and we made a commitment that we'd get to 200000 this time, and I think we're going to get there.
2: It's a seriously impressive thing, Mike. Looking at the numbers, 200 plus trucks, I believe you had there. 6,000 odd people getting through the gate before the rain started. It's got to be one of the biggest truck shows in the country now.
4: Talking to people around the country, and they're saying that. So you hit that 200 truck mark. You're right up there. Yeah. We had some East Coast trucks come over, and the whole state rallied around. We had trucks from Port Hedland, from the southwest, from everywhere come for this, and you know everybody's really excited about it. Yeah. You know they realise it's not just a Mac show. I mean. Mike, we only had 32% the entrance MAC this time. (laughs) It was higher last time, but people want to be a part of this and it's a really good cause and it's something for the industry to look forward to and it unites us. It's a a fantastic place for everybody to come and show off their gear and be a part of something special. Well, I think it's
2: now time to call it the Perth Truck Muster, isn't it, mate?
4: Wow. I think a fair few people would be happy with that, (laughs) but we'll see about that. The MAC Muster's got a good ring to it, doesn't
2: it? It does, mate. I do love MAC Muster, but... The Perth Truck Buster. And look, nothing to be ashamed of, mate. I'll tell you what, it's just a hell of a performance. I've seen some of the pictures here and there's some really striking bits of gear. That old Dodge is a bit special, isn't
4: it? Yeah, they got an award. So Mm. yeah, very special. Some special trucks there, absolutely.
2: I think just about everyone that turned up with a truck probably deserved a prize, but you can't give everyone a prize. The Mac of the show, mate. What was the Mac of the show? That was Barry Napoli in
4: his 1988 Series 2 Superliner.
2: Series 2, so it'd have an E9 in it, wouldn't it, mate?
4: Yeah, E9 500. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. <laughs> if you see some of the videos, you see him coming up the hill. Impressive truck, and we always like to see that out and about.
2: Well, I wouldn't even mind having a steer of that, mate. I reckon I almost pay for the privilege to take that for a bit of a jog down the road for a couple of kilometres just so I could listen to it burble.
4: Oh, mate, you and everybody else <laughs> in Western Australia. <laughs>
2: it's a bloody beautiful bit of gear. Mate, I see even Campbell's had a truck there. They put a nice new 909 tri-drive in the show. I saw that. I used to work for them. I was up in Port
4: Hedland driving quads for them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Mike, I was so busy on the day, I hardly saw a lot. Mm. But there was a lot of good trucks from around the state you know, on the show. So, yeah. yeah.
2: I don't think the one that Campbell's had there had seen much time on the iron ore
4: somehow. <laughs> 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 a
2: little bit too clean, mate. Probably a new one. Yeah, yeah. You can't get that pinned down out of anything. No, no, it doesn't come out, mate. Once you get that red dust in there, it stays in. It might disappear, but it just stays there. It's incredible. sure does. Well, all I can say, mate, congratulations on the show. I'm extremely pleased that you at least got half a day without too much rain.
4: That got a bit tragic there at the end, though, didn't it? Oh, we expected it. Hmm. When you're planning a show, you set the date 18 months out just about. Yeah. And you pick a date, and May is a fantastic time of year in Perth. It is, yeah. You know, today's a beautiful day. The Saturday before the show is a beautiful day. You know, you can't get better. It's cool. You know, the sun's nice and warm. Generally, a bit of moisture on the ground. So, you know, we couldn't have got better. Unfortunately, a front came through and we're really fortunate that we got three and a half or four hours where all the crowd came and, and got to see that. Yep. But Mike, the spectacle for, you know, the people of Perth to come and see that in that four hours, mm. but for the industry, we had the whole weekend. So Friday, we had our gala dinner where we had 350 people out at the farm, And we had a fantastic evening raising money for the Harry Perkins. Yep. You know, we're hearing from Tom Chapman, the vice president of Mack Trucks. We had Yogi as the MC. Yep. Max Winkless from Truck Centre. We had an interview uh, with him and it was just a really, really good night. A lot of people stayed over at the farm. And on Saturday, we had bump-in drivers were able to stay the night. And, you know, we put on some beers and some food and just enjoyable time. And didn't matter what brand you had. didn't matter where you worked, what company you worked for. We are all together as an industry and it was uniting.
2: Yeah, well, like Yogi says, mate, doesn't matter what brand of truck it is, if it looks like a truck, smells like a truck, sounds like a truck, big and small, we love them all. Absolutely, yeah. People's Choice was a 1981 White Road Boss, mate, I'll tell you what, that's a classic bit of gear all on its own, isn't
4: it? Caesar Collie, yeah, he's got a beautiful truck. Mm. Since the last show, he's improved it again, and wonderful family company in Western Australia, Collie Timber and Hardware, and that was their first truck, and family had it ever since, and, you know, it's a really beautiful bit of kit.
2: Truck of the show, 1975 SAR from Patch. Patch built. Yeah. (laughs) Just goes to show you, though, these classics, they don't age, do they, really?
4: I had to ring Patch when I was putting it together, and I said to him, Hmm. Patch, there's a mistake here. It says 1975. Yeah. I'm looking at your truck. Yeah. And you'd never pick it. Yeah. And what he said to me was that there's probably only two pieces on that truck that are original. <laughs> Everything's handcrafted and custom built. Yeah. And it is an absolute weapon of a, a truck. Really, really unique. Yeah. So I'll get a photo up of that shortly.
2: You should. It is a unique bit of gear. I'll tell you what, there's very, very few trucks that I see that I'll actually look twice at. But when I saw that thing, I saw it sitting over at Phnom one day when I was over there fueling Oh, yeah. And he pulled up and wandered inside. And I, and I just had to stand there, and I was just looking at it, and I was thinking to myself, gee, there's not a lot on that that's original.
4: That's right. <laughs> the interior, Mike, it's like a 9-0. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a working truck. It is, yep. He doesn't park that in the shed. He works it, and it's done 6 million Ks or so. And he's had it for 24 years, I think he said. He works it, and it's a beautiful-looking bit of kit.
2: Just the bonnet, just the changes on the bonnet alone, that was what grabbed my attention at first. Yeah. And I just, you couldn't believe it. The people's choice, the road boss, but the truck of the show, a 1975 Kenworth SA, I reckon. Kenworth would be quite happy to see that in their museum, I'd say, one day.
4: So, so I don't know whether Patrick would give it up, but maybe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Might be one of those over my dead body things. Could <laughs> be.
4: Best fleet, Bandana earth moving, mate. Who are they? Ryan DeMassi and his team from Bandana have an outstanding fleet. They've got a beautiful Nino in bandana green, which is called The Hulk, and it's an absolute showstopper. Yeah. He's been featured in many magazines, and he's also had a beautiful bandana green, Western star, rigid tipper there as well. Yeah. They're absolute standout crowd favourites. Yep. Could win a lot of awards at any show.
2: Yeah. And they work too, don't they? They're not just sitting around.
4: Oh, no, they work. Yeah, absolutely. They work around, and it's amazing how clean they keep those trucks. Yeah, yeah. Good team, and great to have them a part of the show. So when's the next one, mate? I think we're going to have to sit down and finalise this one, go through the debrief notes from everybody and what worked and what didn't and have a look at a date. The venue that we have the show out, the Quarry Farm, that does 80 weddings a year. So picking a date, people are booking weddings two, three years in advance now and so we need to act pretty quickly to set a date. Yeah. But we'll come together as a team and do a review and work out when and hopefully the weatherman is uh, kind to us <laughs> for the next one.
2: It'd be nice to be able to just lock it in and say a prayer and say, that'll fix that up, but that's the way it is. Yeah. Mate, be sure to get back to us and let us know when it's going to be, and I'll do my best to get over there next time. I'd really like to come and, and have a look. The bunk in and the few beers and the barbecue would sort of be a hell of a place to be. There'd be some characters and some stories around the fire, I can tell you.
4: Oh, absolutely, and we've got a custom-made Mac fire pit there now that one of the boys made up, and yep, it's a really, really good time, and we'll get around and love to have you, Mike.
2: Yogi's chipped me already for not being there, so we'll have to work on it. That's right. Get a load over, Mike. I will. I'll have to talk to the boss about it. Good on you, Matt. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for the wrap-up, mate. You take care, stay safe, and we'll see you on the road. Good on you, Mike. Hi, guys. My name's Dan. I listen
0: to On The Road on the Australian Big Rig Roadshow. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. Picture, if you will, a mustachioed truck driver resplendent in his flannelette shirt, beanie and Tom Cruise sunglasses. He's perched behind the wheel in the cab of his rig. He looks into the camera and says,
2: I openly said before the election that I believe Labor had the best policy for transport and the best person to push that forward. It's a massive task that's got to be done. And I thought that Glenn Stirl had enough runs on the board and enough credibility within the industry to get that to happen. Certainly there are many of us out here who supported Glenn, who were quite happy to modify our beliefs and perhaps indulge a little bit of what some of us consider to be labour lunacy for the benefit of the transport industry. I was one of those. Glenn reached out to me years ago and convinced me with his ability that he could do the job. And then he spent time getting the runs on the board and making things happen. He helped drivers out through the COVID thing. I jokingly called him the minister for potholes and broken toilets because he was out there and he was doing the right thing. He got a lot of industry credibility for what he did. And now you've replaced him with Minister King and some bird from Tasmania that not one of us could pick her out of a lineup. All the credibility that Glenn built has just been burned. And I just hope that these two don't turn out to be cardboard cutouts. And if anything, they've got the common sense to put Glenn to work and use his ability to make things better. There's still a massive job to be done. Massive. I'm very, very disappointed that Glenn was overlooked. Many of us are. Many of us saw what had happened with Labor in federal government and in many of the states. as The planet's alighting to give transport a better go. I hope that. I really, really hope that with all my heart that that's still the case.
0: Mike, you know, mate, you've really got to learn to speak your mind. If you internalise stuff like that, it's really going to ruin your health.
2: Uh, I know, mate. I, I can't help it. Sometimes it's just got to come out and that's the way it goes. I will say one thing, though, mate. Mm. I've been wearing these sunglasses longer than Tom Cruise, all right?
0: <laughs> they look like they could be that old too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit cold, isn't it? I think wind is upon us.
2: Yeah, global warming, mate. We've we've voted Labor and
0: they've just fixed global warming just like that. Just like that. Just like that. Fancy that, eh? Hey, listen, I was reading during the week about a truckie in Victoria. He was driving down a fairly narrow country road with farms on both sides. Right. As he passed one farm gate, this huge... Friggin' bull ran out in front of him and was flattened by the truck. Right. Poor truckie, who, like all truck drivers, was a decent bloke. So, wanting to do the right thing, he pulled over, went and knocked on the door of the shed, and the old farmer came out. and The truckie explained that he'd accidentally ran over the farmer's prize bull, and he thought it only fair that he replaced it. The farmer and said, "Thanks, mate. The cows are out the back. Knock yourself out."
2: (laughs) No. Oh dear, oh dear. (laughs) No.
0: Following complaints from residents in Beverly Hills, Kingsgrove and Hurstville in Sydney, the George's River Council have called for a review of fines for heavy vehicles parking in built-up areas.
2: Yeah, they have. And look, it's just a bit weird because there's nowhere to park down there, mate. Mm. The only uh, only enforcement tool they have is a $117 fine if you park there for more than an hour in a residential street. Well, yeah, that's the same enforcement tool that's in place across the whole country. Yeah, And obviously guys are just choosing to uh, pay $117 a day for parking by the sound of it. Yeah. One of the councillors there is a little bit annoyed. They're more concerned about the noise of the truck sitting there idling and I don't know The sad fact of the matter is that we need to have somewhere to park the trucks, and if we can't park them in the streets, where are we going to park them? Rather than just increasing the size of the fines, we've got to address the parking issues, particularly in the metropolitan areas. It's just silly.
0: certainly is. Mm. Now, Matt, I like this story. In a bid to reduce the number of milk tanker rollovers and crashes on the roads, our major sponsor, NTI, have launched a road safety initiative with the support and backing of the NHVR Heavy Vehicle Safety Initiative No more crying over spilt milk, eh?
2: Mate, the spilt milk program, I was talking to Adam Gibson about it the other day and Mm. it's off the back of all the great work our Copy Southbound guest, Alan Pincott, did with log trucks. Yes. We've obviously got a lot of technology inside the trailers there that tell us exactly what the trailers are doing Mm. and all this sort of information is all going to be drawn together and put into this spilt milk program in an effort to try and stop the rollovers. $4.4 $4.4 billion worth of milk we produce each year. It's a lot of milk, isn't it? Mm. And uh, we export a lot of it.
0: I drink the rest of it. I love it. Do you? Mm, I'm a milk fanatic, mate. When I was living at home, mm. when I got married and moved out, yeah. the milkman left a message for my old man saying, you know, how come you're getting like about one tenth of the milk you used to get? And they said it was your son. He got married and moved away. Yeah. And he got a note the next day saying, can we have his address, please? <laughs> <laughs> that's a- anyway, that's neither here nor there.
2: NDI's data said that dairy tankers are 2.4 times more likely to be involved in a major crash than any other form of freight transport.
0: Oh, wow. interesting.
2: <laughs> Maybe they ought to teach the drivers they don't have to hold the bastard flat. I don't know. Maybe that's the idea. We just might have to slow them down a little bit. But anyway.
0: Maybe it's got something to do with the cream rising to the top, mate. And that puts all the extra weight at the top, do you think?
2: Hold oh, us the centre of gravity, you reckon? Yeah. I reckon there's a research study in that, mate. You reckon we ought to put in for a grant?
0: Oh, Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Following the massive media exposure given to a fatal truck accident last year at the Severston COVID border checkpoint, the Victorian coroner has released his findings into the circumstances of the crash that resulted in the death of a 46-year-old truckie.
2: Yeah, and they say they're unable to explain why the driver... They say they are unable to explain why the drape hmm.
0: You're unable to explain as
2: well. I'm unable to explain. I'm, a, I'm, un- I'm unable to pronounce the word driver. There you go. They say they're unable to explain why the driver failed to react to the stopped vehicles. Well, perhaps because there aren't normally stopped vehicles there. And there's a lot that could be said about this. You know, my condolences to the guy's family. Yeah, It's an accident that should never have happened. The Volvo he was driving crashed into the line of cars there and uh, there was a major fire and it was just not a pleasant thing at all for anyone that was involved or anyone that even heard about it. They're saying that the operation the management of the service and border checkpoint was not a causal factor in the collision. There are a lot of very divided opinions on that. I've spoken to guys who didn't actually witness the accident but knew what the traffic was like there at the border while the closures were happening.
1: Yeah.
2: I know that the police were cautioned by a couple of drivers that there were issues and just basically told to shut up and move on. Mm they wouldn't have been speaking to the police if they weren't concerned about the safety. Obviously. For the coroner to come out with his finding, for me, just a beggar's belief. I'm not going to argue the point with the coroner or say the coroner was wrong. I didn't hear all the evidence. Hmm. But I can tell you from where I sit and from what I saw on border closures and coming up to the traffic management on a lot of the areas was pretty bloody casual and the lines got pretty long and you could come across the back of a line very quickly and, you know, you're not expecting it. You could say that you're supposed to be concentrating and looking out the front and all that. The reality is that sometimes you're not paying the level of attention that should, Mm. and these things happen. It happens at roadworks. We've had several incidents where trucks have run up the back of cars at roadworks for various reasons, and it's always unexplained. The people that are stopping the traffic are never responsible, apparently.
0: Yeah.
2: Now, they've always given plenty of thought to it. I broadly disagree with that. I think that we know where the blame lies for this guy's death. I mean, he shares some of the blame, no doubt about that, but you can't tell me that the border closures didn't contribute to it.
0: No, and that's generally been the held opinion by many for a long time.
2: Mate, everyone who's a professional driver that I've spoken to shares that opinion. Yeah. Yes, he shares some of the blame, but so does the border checkpoint.
0: Yep. Well, there was always a lot of deflecting away from the issue of these border checkpoints anyway, and that will continue as time goes on.
2: It took them 18 months to work out at Albury that they needed a separate lane for the trucks. Yeah. Give me a break. Anyway. My Spaniel could manage some of that sh- better than these guys.
0: It's well known that many small fleet operators are struggling to find suitable drivers, and although there can be many reasons for it, it appears that fatigue laws which carry heavy fines for menial breaches contribute strongly to the loss of drivers. Many who have had to fork out big bucks for often what was little more than just a clerical error.
2: Indeed. There's a couple of young fellas that got fines. One got 600 and one got 800. They had a bit of a dummy spitting through the toys out of the cot. One of them wanted his boss to pay for it. Mm. And I can imagine how that conversation went. And I'm sure anyone who's listening to it has how the conversation went as well. Mm. You are responsible for your own logbook. But these logbook fines are just out of hand in some places. You're paying fines for very, very small errors. And if we talk about this on a regular basis, in fact, I've spoken with Trev Warner about logbooks, as we heard earlier. Mm. And it's so easy. And that's, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I don't use that five-hour break to talk about it because, I mean, if you get the wrong bloke on the side of the road with the wrong attitude, you end up arguing the point about it in court. Yep. And even if you win, you still lost money. Mm. It doesn't seem as though there's an easy way around all this sort of stuff. I have to ask questions about companies finding drivers Companies that pay properly, mm. companies that look after their drivers, don't seem to have a problem finding drivers. Yeah,
0: you got a bit to say about that shortly, and something to talk about too.
2: I do indeed, mate. So yeah, it's a pretty simple story. Yeah, if you look after your drivers and pay them properly, you might be looking for it.
0: Very true. You said you had something else you wanted to briefly mention.
2: Had a bit of a conversation with old mate Glenn Stirl since the reintroduction of the Labor government. Mm. You know, unfortunately, he missed out on a seat. Obviously, that was part of my comment there earlier on. I will tell everyone that he's not given up. He wants to continue the fight. The rest area thing is going to continue to happen, and I believe that he's going to have a hand in that, which is a good thing. Mm. He's not in the fetal position drinking beer. I probably would be, mm. but he's not. As I've said before, even though uh, we stand on the opposite side of the aisle on some issues, we're in lockstep on others, and I support men unreservedly. Uh, you want to say good day to everyone,
0: and you haven't heard the last of Glenn Stirl. That's all we can say on that. No, that's for sure. And mate, just quickly, you recorded a fantastic interview during the week that, on reflection, we've decided is worthy of its own bonus episode, which we're going to release this weekend right after this show. Mm. Now, as I was doing the editing on your chat, mate, it was evident that this was something special that all truckies really needed to hear. Can you tell us, just a quick introduction, who you were talking with and the message was that it comes through so loud and clear in it?
2: Well, I was talking to a bloke named Darren Pincini who I met through a mutual friend of mine, and he's had some pretty horrific incidents happen in his transport career. Things have happened to him that none of us would like to have happen. Mm. And the message that comes out of it more than anything is that you need to learn how to say no when you've been asked to do the wrong thing. We know what's right and wrong. We know it in our gut. Mm you've been asked to color outside the lines a bit work in the gray you're going to leave yourself open to issues and the message from darren is that if you don't work in the gray if things go sideways as they sometimes do you can't have this it won't ever happen to me attitude because it does it happens to someone every day yep. if you're on the right side of the line then you won't have anywhere near the drama to sort out you won't have to pay the penalty for the rest of your life yeah that's what it comes better.
0: thanks mate well look make sure you keep an eye out for the show across the weekend It really is a must-listen-to special. A little excerpt from this weekend's bonus episode, guys. Here it is.
2: I mean, I appreciate your intestinal fortitude to come on the show and talk about something like this. Obviously, probably one of the most traumatic experiences you've ever had in your life. I can't think of anything much worse, really.
4: It's up there. I've had two pretty traumatic
3: experiences. I was um, involved in the bus accident at Grafton in 1989, where 21 were killed and 22 passengers were injured.
2: Right. And
3: that's one of the reasons I I no longer am in the bus industry. Yep. I can secure my surroundings and make them reasonably safe. If something goes wrong, the chances are it will only be me that's dramatically affected. If you've got 50 people sitting behind you... I I don't quite know that I've got what it takes anymore because of what's happened to bear that responsibility. Yep. Unfortunately, for 10 years, Channel 7 showed footage of that bus being lifted off the ground onto the back of a semi-trailer on each of their ads for their Channel 7 news. Yep. Yeah, that was
4: pretty tough.
0: All right, Mike, well, that's it for this week's news. a bit of a lengthy one and quite diverse, but uh, as always, a thought for the week for you. I'm
2: looking forward to it.
0: You can tell if a man is clever by his answers, but you can tell if he's wise by his questions.
2: <laughs> and I think there's something in that for all of us.
0: I do believe you're right, mate. Very, very true.
2: Good you, mate.
0: Safe travels, buddy.
2: Have a good week. We'll catch up later. See ya.
0: On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rings, Australia's national road transport newspaper
1: number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you doing, just smile and tell them, never better.
0: We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you? Really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Oh,
1: am I the only one who says I'm fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. hey I'm fine, but I'm not. So let the truth be told.
2: This is something probably more than something to talk about or something to think about, our regular segment we do. It's more along the lines of probably an editorial or perhaps even an explanatory comment of things that I feel need to be said. Everyone in this industry is talking about the fact that we've got a driver shortage looming. There are older guys, my age group and slightly older, that are leaving the industry because, hey, it's retirement time. We've worked our bloody lives, and it's time for us to go and enjoy a little bit of it. We've got training issues with the younger guys coming through. They can't get a job because they can't get any experience. there's work cover insurance, all sorts of problems. And trucks aren't worth 30,000 bucks anymore. they're 300,000 dollars, you know, And you don't want to give someone with no experience or next to no experience a drive in something that, if you're a small company, could bankrupt you with one bad decision. So, you know, it's getting harder for guys to get a start and get anywhere in the industry. We've got all these other fellas, though that are in the middle that are driving along, and companies are now starting to feel the effects of drivers being able to move from job to job that they haven't experienced before. Driver retentions become a real issue. There are some guys out there that have got fundamental problems with technology that people are putting in the trucks, I know particularly things like, to name a brand, seeing machines, but those fatigue monitors systems are causing issues with people. There's also the electronic work diaries. Some guys don't like those, although I can't understand why. And there are a number of other issues. And then there are the purely management issues that go into driver retention. These are the ones you can actually do something about. Everyone acknowledges that there's a driver shortage. Everyone acknowledges that it's looming. All the trucking associations, trucking bodies, employer groups they're all aware that this is happening and the employers are feeling it. And I think it's contributing to the reasons why some of the mid-sized companies, apart from the fact that the landscape could change at a moment's notice with a government health order, driver retention, the retention of skilled, worthwhile drivers is getting harder and harder and harder and drivers are costing more money. High employee turnover really does bring financial strain on a business. The cost of money, pure money and time in training a driver and getting to be where you want them to be within your company, turning them into a valuable asset to you, it costs you money. It costs you real money. And people don't seem to accept or even understand that fact. You've got to take the time to improve your driver and improve the company's culture. That's all part of it. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about a few simple things that you can do as a company that can help you retain good drivers. One of the biggest reasons why drivers walk away from companies is low pay. If you're not paying blokes properly, if you're making mistakes in their pay, or you've got unrealistic expectations for what the driver's going to be doing for the money, then there are others out there that'll pay more. And we talk to each other on the road. People compare notes. It's a lot easier these days with social media than it ever used to be. They know what's going on. They know where the good money is. And once you've spent the time to train them, they've got the experience then. Okay, understand that. And that experience is portable. They can take it somewhere else. And there are other employers out there that are more than happy to take it, believe me. So paying drivers what they're worth is probably a good move for you as a business. It's certainly cheaper than training a new driver. And it's certainly cheaper than paying for the mistakes. Now, lost paperwork, paperwork not done properly, invoices that can't be put out in time. It affects your cash flow. Have a think about that. You can give employees bonuses if they perform best, fuel and mileage bonuses, damage-free bonuses. Think about that. And it doesn't have to be much, given the jacket from the new Kenworth you buy. A bit of recognition. Maybe their name on the door if they drive the same truck all the time. There are companies out there that do it. Have a think about it. The next thing, I suppose, is driver training and procedures for new drivers. So when you get someone in, instead of just throwing the keys at them and saying, there's the truck, there's the load, Melbourne's that way, take a day or so with them to make sure that they understand what you're doing as a business. Some proper training and procedures about how you want things done. Make it clear to them. Give them a driver's handbook. When you're hiring someone new, they don't know all the stuff that you know. They don't know where your customers are. You can't assume that they know. Even someone with my level of experience, which is quite extensive, would benefit from knowing who your customers are, where they are, where the facilities are. Basically an induction. Spend a day. It'll save you a lot of pain and pay the bloody driver for it because it's work. They're doing it for your benefit. They're not doing it for them. Yes, they want the job. Yes, they want to go to work for you, but for God's sake, respect the time. You're going to save drivers a lot of frustration. If you don't pay attention to little things early on, you're going to increase the chance that they're going to leave later on. Ongoing training for newly hired drivers, and even drivers that are there for a while when you've got a new customer, for example. These are things that you need to consider. You've got to publicly acknowledge your drivers, I suppose. Not so much in public. Don't take out a bloody newspaper ad and say, "Oh, what a great fellow this bloke is, and what an asset to the company he is." But within the company, you know, do you do a company newsletter? Do you tell your drivers what's going on? Do you discuss openly and frankly the things that happen within the company, or do you let the rumour mill get things around? You know, oh, made out an incident there at one of our customers and backed over a post or something. Do you talk about that? Do you let everyone know that it happened or why it happened? It's not about shaming. It's not about confidentiality. It's about communication. Are you rewarding the guys that get it right and don't stuff things up and break things? That's about communication as well. It'll make the driver feel good about what he's doing. It'll make him not worry about the five minutes extra he's had to spend keeping the customer happy. That pays you down the track. It's worth considering. You've also got to share the bigger vision of the company and where you're going, what you're trying to achieve. You don't want everything out there. You don't want, you know, because some drivers love to gossip. (laughs) I wonder why that is. You don't want everything out there. But if you've got a group of drivers and you're a small company and you want them to know, hey, look, we're chasing a contract or we're going to be doing this or we want to do some other thing. A, you can ask their opinion about it, if you respect their opinion, of course. And B, you can educate them about what you're trying to do. Monthly or quarterly meetings or, or something. But get everyone together and have a chat. Spend the time. It's all about spending the time. All of these things cost money to do, yes, but they also cost you money if you don't do them. The biggest thing that employers need to understand is that drivers leave management, they don't leave jobs. They don't go from truck driving to doing something else. They keep truck driving, they just go and do it somewhere else. And that's what employers need to think about. That's what employers need to talk about with their drivers. Keep it safe out there. I hope there's something of value in that for all of you as always if you've got anything to say if you want something to talk about please feel free to drop me a line mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au or give me a call 0418 722 488 more than happy to have anyone on the show talk about what they want to talk about we can't talk if you're silent we'll catch up see ya
4: This is Gina Jeffries. And I'm Tanya Kernighan. And you're listening to On the Road with Mike and
0: Andy. <laughs> Way back in episode 67, we caught up with the queens of Aussie country music, Gina Jeffries and Tanya Kernighan, to talk about the tour they were launching together. Now, taking us out of the show this week, here's Gina in a live duet with the incredible Guy Sebastian from the Tamworth Golden Guitar Awards with a rockin' good remake of the Wilson Phillips song, Hold On. the show for another week. Thanks for coming along for the ride. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Be sure to join us again next week when Mike says,
2: I'm getting a
0: t-shirt. Andy says, behave yourself and our guest says no i haven't got a clue what you're talking about until then play nice with each other and most of all stay safe out there bye for now bye bye the team here at on the road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors we support their right to hold and express those opinions